0: Uh, Be generous, we've been doing it since year one of the movement, this is, uh, are we nine years in AJ? I think so, yeah, because next year is ten years. Nine years of your ninth year of doing it, and uh, it started out of a vision uh, that we see in the book of Acts, where the early church got together, and they started selling possessions and, and giving up what they had so that no one was in need, no one was in need. And I love that, that it's, it's a picture of people giving what they have. This is uh, the way we defined it, and we have defined it on the next slide, um, that we give, a yearly offering, where we give what we have so that others can have what they need, both inside and outside of our church. We give what we have so that others can have what they need. There are people in here that, that don't have needs, You might have needs for other things, but financially, you're really not in need. You have enough. And then there are other people in here and outside our walls who do not have enough, who cannot pay their bills, who cannot put clothes on the the kids' backs, who cannot have a good meal. And so we, the Bible talks about as a family, pull together our resources so that when those people have enough and maybe we are in lack, it goes back and forth so that no one is in Need and this year, uh, we are doing what we did last year. The breakdown uh, for our goal of internal raising is fifty thousand dollars that we want to uh, give out of our own pockets um, to go to inside and outside. And there's a little bit of a twist that we did last year that we're going to be copying this year, uh, as always. We're going to be collecting for internal needs, so twenty thousand of that fifty we are hoping, uh, as, as it is given that goes internal only, stays here for those who have needs. And, um, and that is a humbling thing. As Britt, my, my wife, shared a couple of weeks ago, we had been recipients of Be Generous multiple years in a row when we didn't know where our next paycheck was coming. And we had to humble ourselves and ask, and uh, we received it, and it put food on our tables where we didn't know if we were going to have food on our tables. So we've been on that side of receiving, and so we want you to know, too, if you're in here and you're like, I really can't give much, but I'm in a lot of need, this is for you as well, to give what you can, but also to receive in this season and humble yourself, to be blessed by the family of God. Then the last 30,000 is going to be divided, uh, Fifteen of it, we'll go straight into uh, families around our neighborhood. We have chosen, the schools have given us five families from Elmhurst, this school, and five families from Life Academy on 35th that are in the greatest need in their school. And we're going to be cutting checks and pouring them right into those families' hands. We'll deliver them on the 19th like we did last year. It was such a beautiful time giving these checks to these families and giving them Christmas gifts because they don't have the the ability to even get gifts for their kids. And so on top of the 15,000, we're giving them We'll be also buying gifts for them as well. And then 15000 will be going to serve both schools, Elmhurst and Life Academy, buying meals, paying for things they need, supplies for the bathroom, the teacher's lounge that we have done for both schools. It's keeping that up so they can know that they're loved and seen and appreciated. And uh, we do that at Serve Week, we a big push. But then throughout the year, it also costs money to make sure they have nice snacks and drinks. And uh, you know, people at Google and Facebook um, and all the tech companies, even though I know there's layoffs happening, in uh, the season of wealth and abundance, they have all the things and all the snacks and all the stuff, and the teachers are barely getting by with toilet paper in their bathrooms, and so we want them to know that they are loved and seen, and so that money goes to that as well. 50000 Now, I want you to know, with no pressure being added to us, that we shot for 50000 last year, and uh, anyone remember what we got? 65000 Come on. 65000 that is a, that's a beautiful thing. That's our largest Be Generous collection. Now I know inflation has happened. I know the economy is crazy. I know, uh, so I, I, I'm not looking to get sixty-five thousand. I'm not. I, I won't be surprised if it's lower or higher. I don't have expectations. I just the call that I want to give this morning, and the call that I want to give myself and our church, is making sure that we are following Jesus, uh, not just with our Bible reading and our money, uh, our Bible reading and our prayer time and our service but with our finances. I told the team this morning in our huddle that Jesus talked about two things uh, the most, the most common themes of Jesus' teaching that he brought up often was the kingdom of God, hell, and money. And I told them two of those things we don't talk about often. We don't talk about hell and money often, but Jesus brought it up often because they were big, important subjects that we need to wrap our head around to understand what God was saying. And so money has a big uh a big role in the life of Christians, because we all have it, we need to use it, and God's kingdom is also um, taking advantage of money, we can steward it for God's kingdom. So I want to ask a question, we're going to answer this this morning, and look at generosity, and, and my goal, before we go to the question, my goal this morning, uh, if you're like, man, I'm, I'm barely tithing, I'm, I'm barely giving, or I'm giving a lot already, uh, wherever you are on the spectrum, whether you have close fists, or open hands, or in the middle, or, don't like giving, and or you you're, you make a lot of money, but you give a little, or you make you give a lot, but you make a little. Whatever you are on the spectrum, a lot of people are different places. I want to, my hope and prayer that I've been praying that you would walk out with a with a deeper. Um, more compelling motivation to open your hands to give. No matter where you are on the spectrum, even if you think you're giving more than you can handle and that God would open your hands to give more, not because there's a number you have to give to be Christian or a percentage, but because God, what David says, love a cheerful giver. God loves a cheerful giver. And maybe you're giving out of reluctance. Maybe you don't want to give. Maybe it's painful. Maybe it's automatic and robotic and you just, automatic things come out and, We want to be cheerful. We want to be motivated to give more because like we sang this morning, God has been so generous to us. So the question I want to pose to us is to kind of stir up our hearts to be generous is what's the difference between Jesus' instruction around money and the world's instruction? What's the difference between what Jesus says about how to use money and what the world says about how to use money? There is a difference, and we want to know what that difference is. Maybe another way to ask a question, this is kind of the real question I want to ask underneath that question. How can we be as generous as Jesus expects us to be? If you ever read the the scriptures, uh, even a glance over through the gospels, you would see that Jesus has a high priority on giving sacrificially and living a generous life. So I want to know with you, how can I move to a place to be as generous as Jesus expects us? I would say, commands us to be. It's not a soft expectation. This is Jesus saying, I want you to live this kind of lifestyle and it's good for you, but it's hard. What Jesus asks us to do are hard things. They're good things, but hard things. And giving up what we've worked hard for is hard, but Jesus has a compelling reason behind that, and I want us to be convinced by the motivation Jesus gives. Here's just one reason why I think we should lean in this morning, even if you think you got money on lock. How we think about and use money, this is for everyone, how we think about and use money is a window into our hearts, peels back the motivations and the the longings and the desires. It clearly exposes what we trust in, what we value, and what we are truly living for. If you want to know what you love, we put down doctrine on paper, but if you want to really know your, your theology and your loves, don't just put down uh, stuff on paper. Look at your spending. Look at how you use money. Money is not good or evil. It's neutral, but our hearts can make it a tool for good or a tool for evil. And Jesus is very clear that money and how we use it, how we view it, reveal. So if you want to know, what do I really trust? What do I really value? What am I living for? Look at your bank account. Look at where your money goes. That's one of the greatest, not the only, but the greatest ways. And this is not just good opinions. Look at what Jesus says next. This is so startling. He says, for where your treasure is, what? There your hearts will be also. If you want to know where your heart is, Jesus, if you want to know where your affections is, if you want to know what you value, look no further, Jesus says, than what you treasure and what you do with your treasure. Now that might be convicting to some of you already, but I think it is a blessing, even if it's going to be convicting, for us to have a clear sobering view of what we value. Who wants to have a clear sobering view on what we value and what we love? Anyone inside here? Even though I might get checked, even though Jesus might step on my boots and your toes, I want to know, I don't want to live a life thinking I value something that I really don't. And I know you don't either. We want to be clear on what we love, and money, treasure, reveals that to us. Think about it. What might the way you use money say about your beliefs and loves? Someone looked at your bank account and you're where you spend and how you handle money, how you think about and talk about money. It's not just how you spend it, but how you think about it and talk about it over the last two years. What would, they, what would it say about your beliefs, about God and life, and what you love? It would say something. And I want us to move to the place where we can more and more increasingly say that the way we use money reveals that we love Jesus, we trust Jesus, and he's our greatest treasure. Amen? The way we use money should show that not perfectly, but that it would increasingly show that we love and prioritize Jesus. So here's the simple outline we're going to look to this morning to unpack this. Number one, I just want to lay out very simply the world's vision of money. You know it, but let's just put it on the screen for us to clearly see. Then we'll juxtapose that with Jesus' vision of money with a couple verses. And then I want you to see, this surprised me, even though I've seen this before, It surprised me. The unexpected motivation, Jesus in his vision of money and teaching of money, he has an unexpected motivation for having you be generous. And it's not what you probably think it is. And then just landing after our time of discussion on the right response. So we're not just hearers, but we're doers of the word. Because at the end of this, we're not just talking about how to use money. We're doing this so that our hearts change, get more in line with Jesus, so that you would be generous, to be generous, the campaign. This is not the only way. This isn't, isn't if you give to this, you're a Christian. And if you're not, you're not. But this is something we do at our church. You know, if you call the movement your church, we believe it's an important part of stretching ourselves. And every year, and just to be frankly honest, uh, we have taken in less than we expected to take in this year. We've about spent about the, about the same, but we've taken in less So my heart naturally should say, forget about be generous. We need more money to match and meet our budget, so We don't have a huge loss. You know, we have money in the bank. But I'm not doing that. We're not living that way out of scarcity or fear. We're saying God's going to provide, and we want to do this for people outside. So this is even just about money for the lights and salaries. This is all for excess outside of that to bless people. And I want to believe that just like you are being generous, the way that we are as a staff and leadership at the organization of a church, we want to be generous in that way as well. And so we want to respond rightly. The world's vision on money. I don't know if you probably have realized recently, but the world unapologetically, oh my gosh, so unapologetically teaches us how to view and use money every day in every ad, every Entertainment show, every book you read, social media posts, it's all around us. There is a clear line on how to use money. You can, any one of us in 10 minutes could write down what the world, the culture, the system of society says about money. We know because we've been so exposed to it. Let me just put it up here for us to, to see. This is what we get through the books, through the podcasts, through the shows, through Instagram and seeing people out there. Here's just a couple of things I think the world hounds on over and over in terms of how to use money. Number one, make more at all costs. Sounds familiar? You gotta make more. It's not enough what you have. Make more money. You know what's gonna happen, so make more money. Even if it means sacrificing your marriage, even if it means not being home for your kids, even if it means doing things deceptively, make more money. Money at all costs. Number two, the world says, spend it to feel good and be comfortable. I would say I've, I've, I, I do that. <laughs> I don't know what it is about retail therapy, but when I click Amazon and it tells me the package is coming, something in my soul gets delighted. You ever do that? Where I just like, Somehow, sometimes I find myself going on Amazon and buying things I don't need just to feel better, and I don't even use it. Like, oh, we need a doorstop. And I, I, even a doorstop gets me excited. Like, the idea of buying something, a new book, am I, just, am I weird? I don't know. Buying something and having it come and opening up a package, something feels good about that. I feel good about buying something. I feel good, especially about things that, that make me happy and feel comfortable. Use your money to feel good. Number three, hold on to it for safety and protection. You don't know what's going to happen in the economy. Don't give it away. Sure, spend it on yourself, but hold on to it. Pile it up. Get your 401k stack. Make sure your savings has like four years of emergency. Do all you can to make sure you got all the safety in case something happens because you don't know what's going to happen. Number five, the more you have, the more valuable you are. Oh, this is so striking in the face when you look at the culture. If you don't make a lot of money, it's easy for the culture to say you must not be valuable. And the more money you make in your company, if you're dating, you flex that number, the more valuable you feel. It's what the world says about money. You can never have enough of it. There isn't a line of contentment. You can never have enough. And then lastly, you've earned it, so do what you want with it. You've worked hard for it. Blood, sweat, and tears. So by golly, spend it how you want to. doesn't matter. It's yours. Anything sound familiar? Anything sound like you've heard this before? I could probably put another 10 things, but these are the main things. The world's vision on money is so different than Jesus. And I want us to realize this. We need to realize that we have been more exposed to this view of money than Jesus' view and exposure always leads to formation. It's not, um, what I'm not saying is you don't follow Jesus' view more. What I'm saying is a matter of exposure. Unfortunately, we live in this world where you're probably not listening to the passages of Jesus talking about money every day, but you are on social media every day. You are watching Netflix. You are listening to the news. And so whether you like it and want to or not, you are being exposed to the world's view of money more than Jesus, probably. Probably unless you don't have social media and you don't look around. And so because of that, we have to be aware that might we be formed more in the world's view than Jesus' view, even if we don't realize it. Might we have been shaped by the world's view more than Jesus' view just because we are surrounded in a sea of the world's view of money? And where has this left us? Where has has all this this thinking about money left us? I would say more fearful about the future than ever. I once heard a story, Alex told me, of a story, Pastor Alex, uh, of a friend he talked to across the table. This guy had $1 million in savings. No lie. He struck it rich, maybe sold a company, and he was sitting across the table from Pastor Alex, and he said, I fear every night that I'm not going to have enough money tomorrow and I'll be on the streets. When he told me that my jaw dropped, this guy had $1 million in savings that he didn't have to spend, and yet he had this fear every day about the future. Why? How can someone have that much money and still be fearful? Because you can never have enough because the world's teaching has indoctrinated him. We're more anxious about the present. More insecure about our identity. I don't have enough. I'm not making enough. I've been there. I didn't make enough. I had a job at Trader Joe's when I first moved to Oakland just to get into the city. And at that point, I had been through Bible college, been a pastor for three four years, and then kind of like went right down to the bottom of Trader Joe's and had a 4 o'clock to 1 a.m. shift. And I just felt like I wasn't valuable enough. My, my value dropped because of the money I was making and the life I was living. More restless in our work, always trying to climb the ladder. And then, lastly, more selfish with our possessions. This is where the world's ideology and teaching of money has left us fearful, anxious, insecure, restless, and selfish. Let me hear a, a loud yes or no. Is this healthy? No, it's not healthy. And I just I know you because I, I meet with you. You, we, our church are are, are affected by this as much as anyone else. Even if you don't want to be, even if you fight against it, we live in this culture, and it's very hard to not be affected by some of this, whether you have a tight grip, whether you're so anxious, whether you make little. You can have a bad view of money whether, and love money too much, whether you're on the spectrum of making so much, or whether you have little to none. Money can still be an idol, and money can still do these things to you. Money's neutral, but what we believe about it affects us informs forms us. Now, I want to ask the question, and you should be asking the question, okay, if that's what the world says, then what does Jesus say about how we should handle money then? What does Jesus say? If the world says to do all these things, is Jesus' way that much different? I would say yes. I want to give you just three passages, just three quick passages. They're all kind of the same moment of teaching. The Sermon on the Mount, two from Matthew, one from Luke. So Jesus is sitting down in one moment and teaching this. And many scholars believe that he taught Sermon on the Mount multiple times, it wasn't just one time. Three passages, a couple implications from each one, and then we're gonna look at, and I believe you're gonna see it, the surprising motivation behind how Jesus encourages people who live in this system of the world, and back then it wasn't any different, uh, to actually be generous now. Let's start off in Matthew 6. If the Bible, you can turn to Matthew 6, verse 2. Matthew 6, verse 2. What does Jesus say about how we should handle money look at what jesus says in matthew 6 he's talking to his disciples and a large crowd of people and he says this thus when you give to the needy sound no trumpet before you but when you give to the needy do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you don't sound the trumpet You're like, I don't own a trumpet. I don't know what he's saying. Give to the needy, do it in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. You know what he's saying? Don't give for others to notice or applaud. I love how Jesus assumes that we're supposed to give to the needy. He doesn't say, if you want to give to the needy. He says, the people of my kingdom give to those who have need, not just in the church, but outside. And as he says this, he says, do it in a way that doesn't draw attention to yourself. Don't give, just a post on IG. That's what Jesus would say. Back then, they had a trumpet. Like, literally, people would give and then blow a trumpet. (laughs) Look at what I gave to this person. How crazy is that? We would say, look at how how that person, and yet we're out here, look at me serving the poor. And here's a real Instagram live. It's no different. We, we do it, I've done it, where I wanted to vocalize and to maximize the reach and attention of my generosity. Why? Because I wanted people to be encouraged, sure. But there's a small part of it that I wanted people to know that I was generous. I wanted people to really applaud me and to say, wow, you are doing so well with your money. And isn't that what Jesus says? Don't even let your, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Give it away where you're not even drawing attention to it. Why? Because he wants you to trust that God can see what others can't. It's okay if no one saw you give that money to that person, but God sees you. And Do you trust that God sees what others can't? Do you trust that if you didn't make a tweet about it or a Facebook post about it, God still sees it. But not only that, trust that God will take care of you. Go back to the verse real quick. Look at the the back. Trust that your father who sees in secret when no one else is will reward you. He's got your back. You're giving out. Don't worry. Because here's what Jesus says. If you settle for the applause, you get that reward. If you don't do for the applause, you get God's reward. Either way, you get a reward an immediate reward, which is a like on your Instagram post, or God's reward, which is so much more satisfying. Either way, you get a reward. Jesus says, when you give to people, don't let people see it. Trust that your Father will take care of you. A little bit later on in the passage, he is talking about worry, and he says it in this way, verse 32. So don't worry about these things. He's talking about basic needs. What will we eat, and what will we drink, and What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Wow. Jesus is saying, the things that dominate the thoughts of unbelievers, what am I going to eat? Where are we going to have food on the table? Am I going to have enough clothes on my back? Will I have enough money to pay this bill? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. But seek the first, the kingdom of God. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what does he say? And his righteousness. And look at this promise. All these things will be provided for you. Don't worry about the things, the basic needs. Seek God's kingdom first, Jesus says. And all those things that the unbelieving world is infatuated with and restless about and anxious about and fearful about, those things the Father will take care of you. Why? Because he knows what you need. Jesus is saying, don't live and worry over your basic needs. I know that's really a simple statement, but I want to let that sit over you for a moment. Are you worrying about your basic needs? Jesus doesn't say you shouldn't. He says, don't, don't, don't. Don't worry. Why? Because you have a father who knows what you need, don't spend your life chasing these things. You see what he says, he reverses. He says, make God's kingdom your main agenda. The, the counter to that is making your main agenda, getting your needs covered. And some people in this life who don't believe in Jesus, don't have an afterlife, don't have eternal perspective, they are living for the moment. They're living to make sure they have their needs met. And that's not a bad thing, but that's not how we live in the kingdom. When you get transferred through the gospel to God's kingdom, you live differently. Why? Because you are now adopted into his family and he's now your father and he's gonna take care of you. And what he he would say to you, and I, he said back then, which one of you who has a father who wouldn't give a good gift to, you're evil, he says, and you give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? He delights to give you what you need. He says, trust that God is your good father. When you think about money and finances and your bills and bank account, does your mind go to God being your father? Whether you have enough or not, God is the one who is gonna take care of you. Not in theory in theology, but in real life. This isn't like some exaggeration. This is real life. What you have, that what you need will be taken care of by God. So don't worry, he says. Lastly, he says this at the end of this section. I chose the verse in Luke, but it's the same thing in Matthew. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Wow. He's not saying your father is pleased to give you some top ramen. He says your father is pleased to give you what? The kingdom. Sell your, so in light of that, sell your possessions and give to those in need. This will store up treasure for you in heaven and the money bags of heaven will never get old or develop holes. Your treasure will be safe. No thief can steal it and no moth can destroy it. He's saying, I don't want you to worry. Don't be afraid. Don't live by fear for your father is pleased to give you the kingdom. Literally, he says, I want you to sell what you've worked hard for. Jesus You want, I worked hard for this night and day, spent time away from my family. I climbed up the corporate ladder. Now I'm the top of my company, hustling all over the world. And you want me to sell the things that I've worked hard for? And Jesus might say to you, yes. He says, yes. It's not not like you have to sell everything, but there's a sense of, Jesus calling us to a level now where what we've worked hard for, we're called to sell if it means that we are able to give to those who, if you can sell what you have and still not have need, you probably should at some moment to be able to give to those who have need. That's Jesus's point. And he says, I want you to go without some things you enjoy. When he says sell your possessions, he's talking about selling the things that you enjoy that you might want that maybe you even slightly think you need, but you don't. He wants you to pay attention to those who have needs. Look around to those who have needs. Are you, are you, are you, is your attention even focused and attuned to the needs of the people around you? Or are you just thinking about what you have and what you need? Because this assumes that people are walking around looking at, man, that person has a need. My brother and sister have a need. I have something I can sell to give money to help them. Lastly, he is saying, invest in eternity over the temporal Store up treasures in heaven. I want you to know, y'all, and this is not because of Oakland. I got my car stolen in Martinez on Christmas Eve a couple years ago. I've had a U-Haul stolen in Oakland. I've had a car breaking into in Oakland. I've had another car stolen in Oakland. Our houses got broken into two weeks ago. This stuff can rot, and people can steal your stuff. My car got jacked. My U-Haul got jacked. I woke up, said some words I can't say on Sunday morning here, and I was like, where in the world did the U-Haul go? It's a 30-foot truck. I know I parked it here. I thought I was crazy. They done stole my U-Haul, y'all. Stole my U-Haul. I got jacked. Not my Honda Civic, the U-Haul. And Jesus is saying, don't invest in this stuff only where people can steal. Invest in heaven where no one can steal your investment. He doesn't say don't have a nice, nice things. He doesn't say don't have a lot of money. It's not what Jesus is saying. But he's saying, are you investing more for this life or investing your time, energy, and money into the next life? Because that next life is as real as this life. Here's a summary. Number one, give without drawing attention to yourself. So challenging. Number two, seek God and don't worry about your needs. Number three, sell what you own and give to others. Give, seek, sell. Here's the difference between the world and Jesus. The world says, chase it, spend it, keep it. Chase more money, spend the money, keep the money. Jesus, over and over again, says, give it away and don't worry. Jesus says, give it away. Sell what you got, give it away, and don't worry. Church, I want to be, I want to be, people, I want to be a disciple who takes Jesus' words literally, not metaphorically. I want you to know and look at me in the eyes, this is not a metaphor. At some moment, Jesus is going to call you to do this kind of stuff. Give it away. Whether you have to sell something or not, give it away. Giving is not an option in the economy of God's kingdom, however it looks like. Whether it's $2 for you or $2,000, thankfully, God is not judging that because it's about the sacrifice and the cost, but there isn't an option when it comes to giving. Now, I want to just land the plan on where, where Jesus is getting at, what he is saying Here, what is underneath all of this? There is something, and maybe you've tracked with me to see it. There's something underneath what Jesus is saying about generosity. The question I want to ask is, what makes the Christian give so freely without worry? Because if you look at that, you're like, wow, I don't don't know. I worry, and so how am I supposed to give what I have and, and not worry? That means I'm going without what I have. What's the unexpected motivation? This surprised me but it's biblical. I told telling Jeremy earlier, I had to switch, I had a choice when I was writing this message that I either had to switch the scriptures I was using to change my point, to make sure I was saying that or change my point at the end because the scriptures were saying something totally different. And so I'm just trying to put out what the Bible is saying and I wanted it to be shocking, but also very encouraging. What is the unexpected motivation? What makes the Christian give so freely without worry? Jesus' motivation for radical generosity, which is very clear here, it's radical compared to the world, comes from the belief that we have a good father who is taking care of us, that's not that controversial, and will reward us in the future. Jesus' view of generosity, his underlying surprising motivation for getting people who follow him to give is tucked in here, is tied to a father in heaven who cares for us now and will reward us in the future. Jesus is motivating our generosity with future rewards. Every one of those, and even more of that passage. Just like a good father motivates his children towards good behaviors and habits. I have two kids, and when I want them to do something, I have learned I can't just say, do this. Maybe now, but, in the, but before, when I say make your bed or, or clean up the room or put something away, there has been times in my life in parenting where me and my wife had to say, if you do this, you can watch a movie. Don't judge me. You know, y'all do it too. If you, if you do this, you can, you can have some ice cream. Is that bad parenting? No, no, that is training our kids to have good behaviors and habits and to get rewarded for those good behaviors and habits. Now, we're not saying they're doing it for the reward. They're being trained that this is a good thing, a good pattern of living. And I know this is shocking because I think some of us would say, no, no, no. It has to be purely Jesus, not what he gives us. But then why does Jesus over and over again say, give and give in secret because you're going to be rewarded in the future? Either Jesus is lying, the translation is wrong, or maybe this is a motivation. A, not the only, a main motivation that Jesus has for being generous. What I want you to to, to listen for the next few moments. I'm going to read some scriptures in Hebrews. some of my favorite passages. And I want you to see that this was lived out in the Old Testament saints. Jesus' motivation that if you give away what what you have now, don't worry, you'll be taken care of in the future, is actually... Embedded in the life with God and in his kingdom. Check this out this passage in Hebrews 10, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. The author of Hebrews is talking about the Israelites, or I mean the, uh, the, the Christians in that moment, early church, that had, uh, had friends who went to prison, they got persecuted. And these Christians chose to have compassion, chose to identify with the people who got in prison, which you know would probably make you in trouble. If you're saying, I'm a Christian and you arrested my friends as Christians, then I'm risking myself. And look what he says about that. For you, church, showed compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. That's your car getting jacked and you were happy. You joyfully accepted someone breaking into your house and stealing your stuff. Why? Why would someone joyfully accept losing their property? Here's why. Since you knew that you had a better and lasting possession in heaven, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. What would make someone be joyful about losing what they have earned and worked for? What would make someone risk Association with people who have been put in prison, knowing well that they could be put in prison as well or beaten or killed. What would make someone risk and give and love and serve? They knew they had a better and lasting possession in the heavens. They knew something better was coming so they can give it away now. They looked toward the future reward and said, that's better than this, so I'm free to give it up. In fact, not just free, I don't think the future should just make us begrudgingly generous. It is joyfully generous joyfully accepted the plundering of your property. Yeah, I, I want that lifestyle. In fact, no lie, this isn't to the, the put boast, I just want you to know, the moment that our car got stolen Martinez, Christmas Eve, our car gets stolen, maybe because I left the keys in there, but it's not a big deal. Um, our car got stolen. It's Martinez, I thought it was safe. And so, woke up, Christmas Eve, the car is gone. I was in... Target shopping for a car seat for my kid because we need the car seat to travel around. And you want to know the emotion that I had? Joy and gratitude. I couldn't even explain it. I remember texting someone or or shooting a video, putting it out there, just a sense of overwhelming joy. I wasn't like happy, like, yay, let's hear my other car, take that, but it was a sense of joy because at that moment, I think God was teaching me You got something better. Don't trip about this. I know it was a brand new car, a couple years old, just paid off, but don't worry. It was this overwhelming joy. Look at what the Bible says later in Hebrews about Moses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He grew up in Pharaoh's house and he rejected that kind of lavish lifestyle, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God. He said, I'm an Israelite. He chose that mistreatment, choosing that then to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Check this out. He considered the the reproach, the suffering of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. What drove Moses to say, I'm going to give up my plush life, choose suffering, and choose something that I know is going to be very hard, and call it greater wealth, the suffering of Christ, greater wealth than the riches of Egypt. Egypt was bountiful in riches, and he had everything at his fingertips, and he gave that up to follow God and to be associated with the people of God. Why? For he was looking to the reward. Am I preaching to anyone this morning? Does anyone hear that God's future reward is a present motivation? And I love that. That means so much for how we view money in this day and age. Here's the kingdom logic that I see. The reality of their future inheritance and reward in Christ motivated and shaped how they lived their lives, freeing them up to take temporary losses and risks for the sake of the kingdom. The reality of a future inheritance. The Bible says in Ephesians that we have been blessed and have an inheritance in Christ through the gospel. That's not just a present reality. It's not just a past forgiveness. There is a very clear sense that there is a future reward, a future inheritance. And I want you to know if you feel, oh, I feel bad looking at the reward, there's a reason why the Bible tells us to look to the reward because he knows how he made us. We need to look at something greater to far outweigh what we have now. And this motivated their future gaze, motivated and shaped how they live their lives now. It freed them up. It opened their pride hands and said, now I can endure temporary loss. Now I can give money. Now I can sacrifice. Why? Because I know something greater is coming. I don't need it all now. I got something promised for me in the future. The life that says I need it all now in the immediate context is ignoring the future promises of the kingdom. And I don't think you and I were created to live just in the here and now. We are living with our feet planted on today's date with eyes looking toward the future. And that future isn't just a hope as out there. It's meant to shape how you live today. We can be okay with losing now because we know we will gain later. You can be okay with giving up your possessions because you know you will gain later. You know why people withhold so much? They don't think that they will gain later. All they have is all what they have in their hands. But Jesus wants us to see our future inheritance us up to have a present generosity what's going to cause the movement church what's going to cause you to be more generous not just in be generous even though i want you to give sacrificially but in life with your home and your schedule and your time and your energy what's going to cause you to be generous like jesus expects us to be it's not just looking past to the gospel that is the case the gospel isn't just past forgiveness the gospel is holistic for your whole life it does something in the past it does something in the present and it promises something in the future The gospel is all-encompassing. It's not just salvation, get out of hell. It's get into heaven. It is get into God's presence. It is have a rich inheritance because now you're part of the father's family. Let me ask you a question. How often do you think about your future inheritance in Christ? How often? Just take a second. How often? It could be yes or no, a lot, not a lot. There's another 30 passages that I could bring up that would bring up this same point. It is not a fleeting little peripheral point. It is one of the main motivators for living a sacrificial life. Thinking about your heritage. Does it shape how you live your life today at all? Just be honest with yourself, because I think this unlocks another level of generosity when you can, by faith, look towards the promise of heaven and the promise of riches in Christ. Why is it so difficult to be generous? I think this is it. Our inability to give like Jesus teaches us to give, which is a radical generosity, is due to our short-sightedness. We are often too focused on the temporal and immediate at the expense of the eternal. I'm not saying you don't want to be generous. I'm not saying you aren't, but I think the thing that, that holds, that helps us and causes us to hold on to things more tightly than we're supposed to is because we're looking at the immediate, not in the future. We're thinking about our needs now and our worries now and maybe a couple days and weeks and months later, but Chris, there's no way. I have problems now. How am I going to look towards eternity? That that makes me too anxious. That's too far away. No, no, no. Actually, that will relieve your anxiety. Do not worry, Jesus says. Why? Because you have a Father in heaven who wants to give you good gifts and will take care of you in the future. Jesus knows that we're children and that we need to direct our gaze to what he will do for us. If we're always thinking about this life and our immediate problems and needs, we will never have the motivation to sell and to give, to love and to serve like Jesus. How will we become generous like Jesus wants us to be generous? Looking at the future. Generosity in light of eternity. When you think about tithing or be generous or giving to an organization or helping a friend who's in need, are you thinking about eternity? I just don't think that eternity is something that should be thought about just every couple of years in your Christian life or even every couple of months here and there. It is a jet fuel for living the Christian life. If it wasn't, then he wouldn't talk about it so much. But he did because he wanted us to look towards something better. And If you read through Hebrews 11, the hall of faith, all the people who lived by faith, it says at the end, it says at the end that they didn't get, they didn't see the full thing of their promise. They lived and they couldn't see it all. But look what it says. They were looking to a better city. They knew there were exiles and strangers here. That means they were just passing through. This is not your home, Christian. Your home is in heaven, in the new earth, in the new heavens with Christ. You are an alien here. You are an exile. You are a sojourner, and you are passing through. You live in a tent. You aren't putting roots down here. That is the whole message of Hebrews Hebrews 11. They lived by faith and did crazy things. Got sawn in half, eaten by lions, gave up things. Why? Because they were looking to the better city to come. Generosity in light of eternity, looking to our inheritance in Christ and believing you have something better coming. What's so so good about the future? Let me just end with this before we have a discussion time. I want you just to, See a glimpse of the inheritance we have in Christ. If you don't know, you and I in Christ will resurrect from death. You and I are going to resurrect from death with Christ. If you're fearful of dying, if you're fearful of stopping your life and nothing going to happen after in Christ, the Bible says that we will resurrect to new bodies and new life that we will stand completely righteous before God. Every person in this universe is going to stand before God at the end of their life, and they're gonna answer to their, how they lived, and you are clothed in Christ. So as you stand, you know all the stuff you've done and the sins you committed, but you stand righteous before God. Guiltless, like you never did a wrong because of Jesus. Oh, I don't feel. Yeah, I know you don't feel it, but you are judicially cleared as righteous before God. You're wretched, but you're actually righteous. You're messed up, but you're actually made whole. You feel broken, but you're actually healed, and one day that will come to fruition. We will spend eternity with God face to face. I don't want this to fall on deaf ears because we know it. Do you know that when you die and come back to life, you'll be living forever? That's a long time. And in Christ, you're going to live forever with God. Psalm 100, Owen read it, Pastor Owen, as our shepherd and we as his people. Do you know all the brokenness that you and I have to go through in this life? It is going to be swallowed up in one nanosecond of being in God's presence. And you get that forever. There will be no more death, no more pain, no more sin, no more sorrow. Anyone feel pain? Anyone feel the effects of sin? Anyone feel sorrowful for things happening? There will be none of that in the new creation. Not one ounce, not a shadow, I don't think, not even a memory. In light of this, we will have new bodies and fully healed hearts. Not only will our bodies work properly, oh, I can't wait, but our hearts will be healed to love God and love people, not have bad motivation. Do not feel guilt and shame. And lastly, there will be a new world that is made perfect. God is making this into a new heavens and new earth the way it was always supposed to be before sin wrecked and ruined. it. This is a part of your inheritance. This is yours in Christ as, as, and is as real as the seat you are sitting on, as the clothes on your back. This needs to be in your perspective, Christian, because it is for you through Jesus. And I'm convinced if you're staring at this, your hands will be pried open to be generous. I'm convinced when you're staring at this, what God has got you through the gospel of Jesus as a gift you will want to risk and be sacrificial. You will want to open your home when you want to just close it. You will want to give freely when you don't want to give up money. You will want to serve and sacrifice and maybe even your reputation, put it on the line because you know that it doesn't matter. Your reputation, your health, your wholeness, your provision is taken care of in the treasure of Jesus. What's gonna make us generous like Jesus wants us to be generous? Looking towards the treasures in Christ that we have. So here's what I want you to do for discussion time. One question, and then have someone pray. I want you to be really honest, it can be short and simple, but I want you to unpack this. How might looking toward your future reward change your generosity? Maybe it has. Maybe you can live a life, a testimony of saying, I do think about that often, not enough, but often, and it does free me. That's awesome. I want you to share that that's happening. I don't doubt that people are experiencing that. But I want you to be honest too. How might it change? Maybe you are generous. How might it increase generosity? And with finances first, but also all the other things God has given you, because those things count as well. How might looking towards the future reward change your generosity? Get in groups of two to three, and have someone just pray over each other in the group that God would give you the eyes of faith to look at what you can't see. The Bible says we live by what? Faith, not by sight. You gotta look to something you can't see so that it can shape what you see today. So let's get into groups right now and uh, talk, honest discussion, and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of response and worship, but seven minutes on the timer.